Welcome to my podcast, Ruby's Enchanted World. I'm Roberta Gotti, an actress and writer, and I inspire audiences through performance and storytelling. This is where I share material from my writing and solo shows, including research into the themes explored in my work and insights into my processes. The Actors Centre has recently announced that they will be closed until next year due to COVID-19. Therefore, the performance of Jane Sedian has been postponed. I will continue soon with episode 3 of my podcast, where I will share my work processes, research, inspiration and some extracts from my writing. This podcast series is in five parts and I will be talking about some of the themes explored in my play Jane Sedian, directed by Tony Hickson. Please note that the dates from my show have now changed due to coronavirus and I will be performing the show from Monday the 28th of September until Saturday the 2nd of October at 6.30pm in the John Thor studio at the Actor Centre in central London. For bookings, call the Actor Centre on 0203-841-6600 or on their website actorcentre.co.uk forward slash theatre. In the second podcast of the series, I look at some of the symbolism in Brother's grim tale The Maiden with No Hands and the woman's journey from disempowerment to empowerment. I also take a look at the orphan archetype, as Jane, the character in my play, is an orphan, as well as reading an extract from Justin and the Misfortunes of Virtue by the Sard. A strange man approached a miller and offered him wealth in exchange for what was standing behind the mill. The miller remembered that behind his mill stood an apple tree. Unfortunately, he was unaware that the strange man was actually the devil. So before he realized, the miller agreed. When he went home, he told his wife about his weird encounter but she told him that he was mistaken and that it was actually his daughter standing behind the mill. And then suddenly the miller realized his great mistake. The miller received his wealth and when three years passed, the devil reappeared to take the girl as he said he would. But the girl had kept herself sinless and her hands clean and the devil was unable to take her. The devil threatened to take the miller instead and kill him if he did not chop off his daughter's hands. Afraid, the miller and his daughter agreed to do so, and so the father mutilated the girl. 
However, she continued to weep onto the stumps where her hands once were. So they remained clean, and the devil was still unable to take her. One day, the girl decided to set out into the world to escape, despite her father's new wealth. Eventually, she came upon a stunning royal garden filled with flowers and trees and saw fruit on these trees. After walking all day, she was hungry and wanted to eat a pear, so she prayed that she'd be able to get into the garden. An angel appeared and helped her. While the angel stole the fruit from the tree, the king's gardener saw her and the angel. He was afraid upon seeing the spirit, so he hid inside a bush. The next day, the king noticed that pears were missing and his gardener told him that he had seen a ghost taking them. The king awaited the girl and approached her when she came back to the garden the next day. She told him that everyone had abandoned her and he said that he wouldn't abandon her. Soon after, he married her and made her the queen and gave her new hands made out of silver. Then the king went to war. A year later she gave birth to a son. The king's mother sent news by letter of his birth to the king who had gone off to battle. The messenger made a stop along the way in a wood and while he was sleeping the devil changed the letter to say that the queen had given birth to a changeling. The king was saddened at the news but sent back that they should care for the child nonetheless. On the way back the messenger made another stop along the way and while he was distracted the devil stole that letter too and rewarded it once again. This time, making it say that they should kill the queen and the child and keep the queen's heart as proof. The king's mother, she despaired. She loved the queen and to aid her and her son, she killed a deer for its heart and told the queen to take the child into the world to hide. The queen and her son left the castle in great hurry and went into the forest where she prayed for help. The angel returned to her, appeared and brought her to a hut and nursed her son. She lived in this hut in the forest for seven years and eventually her hands miraculously grew back. The king returned to the castle and discovered the letters had been tempered with. So he set out to find his wife and child. He travelled to many places and after seven years he was very tired when at last he found the hut that the angel took the queen into. The angel welcomed him inside and he lay down to sleep with a handkerchief to cover his face. His wife appeared and the handkerchief fell from his face. 
the child became angry because he had been told that God was man's one and only father. The king asked who they were and the queen told him that they were his wife and son. He initially did not believe her and said that his wife had silver hands. She replied that God had given her real hands and then retrieved her silvered hands that had fallen off and showed the king. The king rejoiced at finding his wife. They both went back to their kingdom and lived happily ever after. tale of the girl with no hands, sometimes called the maiden with no hands by Brothers Grimm's, draws our attention to the gradual evolution of feminine power, a journey from female disempowerment to empowerment. In this story, a woman's destiny is ruled initially by her need not to succumb to the economic deal her father has made with the devil. The father who has the power to sell or trade his daughter and is symbolic of society and its laws concerning women and the ways in which a woman is exploited. The father is promised wealth by the devil by trading his daughter, and only after the father has received the wealth and social standing, he is willing to offer the daughter some protection. As the father grows rich from his bargain, the daughter is disinherited, depersonalized and finally dismembered. With her hands cut off, she's denied the power to do anything in the world. It is the ultimate disempowerment because it ensures the daughter's helplessness and finally, it guarantees against her anger or retribution. Having been used so badly in the father's house, the daughter refuses his gesture to help her and she leaves home. Eventually, she finds help in the power of religion when she's rescued by an angel, then in a cottage deep inside a forest, a place sometimes associated with a witch and the practice of witchcraft, art, healing or seduction. The maidens retreat into the feminine world, the feminocentric environment of the forest, where she's able to preserve her psychic integrity and to establish her true power and identity in spite of the devil's claim. As she finally becomes empowered in a small cottage in the forest instead of a convent or a church. The character of Jane in my play Jane Sedean is an orphan and lives alone in a flat in a big city. She's addicted to her loneliness. This feeling has become a tangible presence, something solid and concrete in her life, like a friend you can rely on because he, she is always there. When I wrote my play Jane Sedean, I was fascinated by the orphan child archetype. Jung has placed the child, the hero child and the orphan child in a list of archetypes 
that represents milestones in individuation. According to Union psychology, individuation is the process of transforming one's psyche by bringing the personal and collective unconscious into conscious. Archetypes are part of the collective unconscious, which is ancestral memory common to all humanity. The child archetype is a symbol of the developing personality. Many of us have the orphan child archetype in our lives. Orphan children do not have to be actual orphans, but sometimes they are. The orphan child simply does not fit in with their family of origin. For whatever set of reasons, this could be ideological differences, religious differences, temperamental differences, or the result of intergenerational trauma. Whatever the case, having this archetype results in feeling disconnected from oneself and the world. People with this archetype feel lonely and unappreciated for their gifts, and because they have not internalized strong parental figures, they can feel aimless and unleashed. American author Carolyn Mice places the orphan archetype with the survival archetypes, the child, the victim, the prostitute and the saboteur. These, she says, are all deeply involved in your most pressing challenges related to survival. Each one represents different issues, fears and vulnerabilities that you need to confront and overcome as part of your sacred contract. Going back to the sad Justin and the misfortunes of virtue, the main character of Justin also fights for survival as she attempts to retain her morality and her virtue. When she goes to a religious leader for counsel, she is forced to rebuff his advances. Thus, the stage is set for Justin's future. Wherever she turns, she is battered and abused, tormented and tortured. Every time Justin trusts a stranger, the stranger turns out to be a monster. Throughout the book, the sad places Justin in one brutal situation and circumstance after another. Ultimately, the greatly maltreated Justin ends up in chain and is rescued by her sister Juliet. Awaiting a court appearance, Justin is staying with her sister when a storm breaks. Rushing to a window to close the shutters, Justin is struck by lightning and killed. In one scene in my play, Jane visits a metaphorical space, a symbolic castle, a place of immense privilege for some, where women are used by men and treated as objects. Echoing some of today's abuses of power, such as Harvey Weinstein and Jeffrey Epstein scandals. Jane realises that the way out of the castle is only through one exit, death. She becomes aware that in her life she is abused over and over by her lover, friends, even her boring job that doesn't nurture her talents. And later, when asleep, in her dreams, a troll threatens her vulnerability. Faced with such charms, our four libertines were in ecstasy for a moment. 
but they only had strength to admire what stood before them. For the empire of beauty commands respect, even in the most wicked and profligate of men, who cannot violate it without experiences remorse. Nevertheless, monsters such as those with whom we had to deal languish little under such restraints. Come along, mademoiselle, said the superior. Come along and let us see, I pray you, if the rest of your charms corresponds with those nature has so generously scattered over your features. And as this beautiful girl showed signs of being troubled, as she blushed without really understanding what was said to her, the brutal Antoinette seized her by the arm and shouted, with oaths and exclamations too indecent for repetition. Don't you understand then, you finical little creature? Don't you understand that what you have been told to do is to strip yourself stark naked this very instant? Fresh tears were followed by further resistance. But Clement, grabbing hold of her, tore away within a minute everything which had veiled the modesty of this interesting creature. Those charms of Octavie, previously concealed by decency, were even more beautiful than those which custom allowed to be shown. Never has a whiter skin been seen, never such fortunate contours. But all this innocence, all this freshness and delicacy were quickly to become the prey of a group of barbarians. A circle was formed round her, and just as I had done, she was obliged to cover it in every sense. Antoinette, burning with lust, could not resist a cruel attack on such budding charms. But his worship was brief, and the incense smoked at the feet of the god. Raphael saw that it was time to think of more serious things. For his own part, he was incapable of waiting, so he seized the victim and placed her according to his taste. Not succeeding so well as he might, he begged Clement to hold her for him. Octavie wept, but no one heard. Fire burned bright in the eyes of this abominable Italian. Master of the fortress he was about to storm, he considered his avenues of approach, only he better to anticipate every resistance. Neither ruse nor any other formal preparation was employed. The enormous disproportion between the assailant and the rebel in no way interfered with his conquest. A heart-rending cry from the victim announced her defeat, but nothing softened her proud conqueror. The more she appeared to beg for mercy, the more ferociously did he press upon her, and, like myself, the wretched girl was ignominiously soiled without ceasing to be a virgin. Never were laurels more difficult to win, said Raphael, as he put himself to rights. I thought, for the first time in my life, that I was about to fail. 
Let me take her over from here, exclaimed Antoinette, without letting her get up. There is more than a single breach in the rampart, and you've only taken one of them. As he spoke, he advanced proudly to combat, and within a minute was master of the situation. Fresh sobs could be heard. Praise be to God, said this horrible monster. I would have doubted my victory if I hadn't heard the cries of the vanquished. Moreover, I only esteem my triumph when it is drawn at the cost of tears. To be truthful, said Jerome as he came forward, a bundle of twigs in his hand. Neither shall I disturb this sweet posture, for it is perfectly suited to my designs. He looked, he touched, he felt. Then a frightful whistling noise echoed through the air. The beautiful flesh changed color. A brilliant red of carnation mingled with the glow of lilies. Thus it is that something which in moderation might perhaps enliven a moment of love becomes with incessant repetition a crime against its laws. Nothing could stop the perfidious monk. The more the pupil wept, the greater each explosion of her master severity. Every part was treated in the same manner, not a single portion of the flesh beneath him obtaining the slightest mercy. Soon this entire body was covered with the imprints of his barbarity, and it was upon these bleeding traces of his odious pleasures that this unspeakable man extinguished at last the fire which burned within him. I shall be more gentle than my brothers, exclaimed Clement, as he seized the beautiful creature in his arms and glued an impure kiss on her coral lips. Here is the temple in which I shall sacrifice. Please note that the dates for my show have now changed due to coronavirus and I will now be performing Jane Sedian from Monday 28th of September until Saturday the 2nd of October at 6.30pm in the John Thaw studio at the Actor Centre in central London. For bookings call the Actor Centre on 0203 841 6600 or on their website actorcentre.co.uk forward slash theatre Material sourced from Wikipedia Angela Carter, The Sedean Woman Brothers Grimm, Fairy Tale, The Maiden Without Hands The Sad Justin, The Misfortunes of Virtue and Sound by J. Powell If you've been listening to Ruby's Enchanted World and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with friends. Thank you for listening.